Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So I was able to kind of have a second ear on everything that was going on. We hit the air getting ready for lineups, and then we had just a stoppage. I saw out of the corner of my left eye, a doctor, an individual from OKC staff, run onto the floor and talk to the officials, and then both coaches were brought to center court. And I looked at Thurl, and I thought, wow, something's wrong. So great to have you on board this podcast. If you don't like that, I've got a commentary that I'm going to do to start off this podcast based on a story that was in Sunday's New York Post. Got a really good guest today. I'm very excited for that. We've got our crowd ultra Q&A. And of course, I have my rant. Phil Mushnick, New York Post. The headline of the story Sunday was Adam Silver's take on ESPN drama reveals... NBA's double standard. He talked about Rachel Nichols versus Maria Taylor. He had a couple of paragraphs on everything that Adam Silver had to say before game one of the NBA finals. And then he wrote a couple of paragraphs on me. I'm quoting Adam, or excuse me, Phil Mushnick here. I'm reading it word for word. No one read those comments with greater interest and perhaps disgust than Grant Napier. A New Yorker who was 32 years the TV voice of the NBA Sacramento Kings and 26 years a radio show host. Napier was similarly fired from both as a racist for replying to a tweet about BLM with all lives matter, every single one. He didn't know that such a noble sentiment was considered by wishful agitators as indefensibly and unforgivably racist. Instead of ignoring such wishful reactionaries, his bosses ran like frightened rabbits, leaving Napier's career and reputation destroyed by the sudden permanent stain of racist. For the record, I resigned as TV announcer for the Sacramento Kings. I continue on with Phil's story. This is my quote. I read those comments. And I was like, sure would have been nice to hear that last year. Now people are talking about it and acknowledging that it's wrong. Adam said, careers shouldn't be erased by a single comment. Mine was, I'm gratefully made those remarks, but I'm still unemployed for saying something as all lives matter, every single one. Let me read that last line again so I have it 100% accurate. But I'm still unemployed for saying something as simple as all lives matter, every single one. 
Adam also said we should judge people by the larger context of their work and who they are and what we know about them. That sure didn't happen for me. My body of work was irrelevant when I lost my career. Then he went and talked about ESPN analyst Doug Adler, or I should say former ESPN analyst Doug Adler, who was fired for praising Venus Williams, for putting the gorilla effect on charging, not an uncommon expression for poaching the net. Doug Adler, if you want to go back, was a guest of mine on this podcast back in January. I found it to be a fascinating conversation. I would certainly invite you and encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. He went on and wrote, a New York Times freelancer then implied the preposterous in a tweet Adler had for no reason and out of the blue just called Williams a gorilla. ESPN not caring about the plain, indisputable truth freaked out. Here's the line that I love in this column by Phil Mushnick. But this is what gutless leadership in an age devoid of common sense cultivates. Let me read that one more time. But this is what gutless leadership in an age devoid of common sense cultivates. I could not have said it better. It is absolutely 100% gutless leadership with a capital G. I thank Phil Mushnick for the comments. I thank Phil Mushnick for bringing this to light. I thank Phil for his fairness and calling it the way it is. And that line, but this is what gutless leadership in an age devoid of common sense cultivates is absolutely, positively, spot-freaking on. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. For your plumbing needs and repairs, and remember their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. And again, I really want to thank those that have reached out via social media, like a tweet that I read last week talking about New Works Plumbing and how grateful they are that I talk about it and that they sponsor this podcast and they now know about New Works. The emails that I've received talking about how tremendous the service has been. I'm grateful for you taking the time. Thank you very much. And I know New Works Plumbing is grateful for the comments as well. Once again, that's newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast became the TV voice of the Utah Jazz in 2005. He's had a very interesting career. He's done so much. He's done the NFL. He's done college football, college basketball. It is an absolute pleasure to have on the podcast Craig Bowler Jack. Bowler, how are you? Grant, great to hear from you, and I'm doing well. You know, I'm a little itchy. I want to get back at it <laughs> when we're talking <laughs> Heck, the, the finals aren't even done, but it's going to be a short offseason, so we'll, we'll be back at it in October. Can't wait. Buller, I want to go back in time because you were in Oklahoma City when really the initial stages of the pandemic came at us in full force, and the next day everything was postponed. I was getting ready to do a game the very next night, Bowler, in Sacramento against New Orleans, and the game was postponed literally 10 minutes before tip-off, and little did we know what we were in store for. Take me back 
to what you remember from that night in Oklahoma City? Grant, I got to be honest, it's really ingrained in my mind. It's going to be one of those moments that, you know, down the road you'll always look back on. You know, it was kind of just a normal day, as you know, in prep. We got in the night before and had dinner, and we knew that, you know, COVID was in the country. And we, you know, and again, it's naivete where you go, well, it won't touch us, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, the day of the game, we have a quick shoot around and Rudy's not there. And we were pulled aside by Coach Quinn Snyder, who, by the way, I really appreciate the way he handled this entire ordeal kind of gave us a heads up prior to before we got on the bus. David Locke and I, who's the radio voice of the Jazz, Ron Boone, longtime analyst, and Big T, Thurl Bailey, who's on the TV side with me that night. And they just pulled us aside to say, look, Rudy's going to is going to be tested. And we're hoping for the best. And so we go to the arena knowing that. And granted, it was the first night, too, that the league had asked uh, broadcasters and coaches to have that six foot of separation. So we also did our coach's interview in that same manner where he was up, you know, away from me and I was down below and I thought, okay, we're going to may have to get used to this for a while. Uh, but again, didn't understand the entire impact until just about an hour later, we got on the floor, did our stand up, jumped in the seats courtside. Now I will say grant, as you know, some arenas have changed where courtside seats belong to the fans, but we still were there in Oklahoma city where I was right next to the team and that helped on this particular night and seeing be, instead of being up and away. So I was able to kind of have a, a second ear on everything that was going on. We hit the air getting ready for lineups. And then we had just a stoppage. I saw out of the corner of my left eye, a doctor, an individual from OKC staff run onto the floor and talk to the officials. And then both coaches were brought to center court. And I looked at thorough and I thought, wow, something's wrong. And then the announcer next to me had a piece of paper and I kind of just happened to look over and I could read it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this game is going to be postponed for the time being until further review by the NBA. And so we went to commercial break. I kind of got some more information, could hear the players talk and their angst in a little bit. And then Billy Donovan and, and, and Quinn, Quinn Snyder had a pretty lengthy conversation. We come back. They make another announcement that this game has officially been postponed. And at that moment, it you know, everything came into play. I knew what was going down. Rudy had been tested positive for COVID-19. And they asked everyone to leave the arena. Now, as you know, you get inside a building of 17 to 19,000 people. I don't know how they're going to react. But you know what, Grant? It was really a very calm moment. Hmm. There was a few scattered boos about not seeing basketball, obviously, but the crowd dispersed. I had some buddies uh, in town, and they just looked at me, and I thought, uh, you know, guys better get out. Then on my phone, this is a long story. I'll try to make it as short as I can, but we get a phone call saying get back to the locker room, but instead of being at, you know, being into the locker room, we were escorted into another side room, and that's where we stayed for about three hours before wow. we heard from anybody. We had some food brought in. Quinn Snyder came in and explained the situation. Again, three hours passed. It was well after midnight. We're asked to come out into the hallway to be tested. And was, was that scary, Bowler? Was that scary? Because, I mean, yeah. Okay. It was. You know why? Because when I walked out, I felt like I was in a Spielberg movie mm -hmm. because everyone is in hazmat gear. Wow. And. 
they brought us in with papers we had to sign. I don't remember. I just signed my name. You know, I mean, it was for testing purposes and, you know, contact information. And so at that time, uh, we walked in one by one uh, into the locker room. The jazz had already been uh, tested. And we then, the traveling party, uh, we were tested down into the lung and also into the nasal cavity. And let me just say, they were very free with their movement. Oh, boy. My drift. Wow. Yeah. And then we were escorted back to our original room away from the locker room. It was like one of those side rooms where, uh, let's say, an entertainer would hang out before a big show at a restroom, refrigerator, a couple of uh, TVs up on the screen. And we sat there again until maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, and buses came, took us to an undisclosed hotel outside of OKC. We were told we'd be finding our results out in the morning. And just to hang tight. So about from 4.30 to 6, I just sat there. I had been Mm. in communication with family and friends throughout the night. I got a phone call quickly the next morning. uh, Bowler, you're you're negative. And I thought, okay, when that phone rang, my life's going to change one way or the other. Wow. And then later on, we heard that we got word that Donovan was positive. And I really thought all of us would be Grant. I really did. Sure. Then we met with uh, health officials from the state of Oklahoma. Luckily, we had some great flight attendants and pilots who had traveled with us many, many, many miles, volunteered to come get us. We flew into Salt Lake City. We met with Utah health officials. They kind of gave us the lowdown of what to do. I was in kind of the third tier of being exposed. So I went into seven days of quarantine in my own home. And then the rest is history. But it was one of those, you know, 24-hour periods that, you know, kind of circulates through your brain once in a while but little did I know at that time I didn't think you know maybe we'd be out a week but it grew and grew and grew as you know and the whole season was uh, put on hold until the bubble and here we are through one championship and as we speak we're waiting to see who's crowned in uh, the summer of 21 so it's uh, it's been a wild 17 months it sure has amazing story bowler uh let's go back to 2005 i think of the jazz i think of stockton malone and hot rod hunley you take over for hot rod on tv in 2005 as he moves over to radio right before he retires what was that like for you well, Grant, I'll tell you what. Every time I talk about Hot Rod, I have to use his voice. I know you do. I mean, you can't help to hear Hot Hey, hey, what's going on? You know, we're going out to dinner and you're paying. I mean, <laughs> I love the guy. God bless him. Yep. You know, I miss him. We were really good friends when I came to Salt Lake way back in with Jimmy Nats, who was at Channel 5, our local affiliate in Salt Lake. Jim and I worked for a very short period of time before he went to CBS and Hot Rod and I were good friends, as was Jim, because our television station actually uh, had a contract with Utah to do about 20 games a year. And so hard to believe I was an analyst for Rod, which I thought was so ridiculous. But I did my best, and he held his, he held his fist up. When it went down, I could talk. And that was, you know, mm-hmm. maybe two sentences a, a half, but <laughs> it was okay. Right. It was okay. But, you know, he and I talked. He told me, he goes, you know what, I'm on my tail end of my career. I, I really want to finish the way I started in radio and I said Hots you know if if you give me the green light I'll take this job that Jazz had talked to me about and you know I was still at CBS at the time and so you know both entities were able to work out a good schedule that it would work you know and I, I'd miss about six to ten games a year but Steve Brown would fill in for me and he was a local broadcaster as well and it worked out great 
But the beauty of it, I was still able to be with Hot Rod on the road uh, for those three years that followed. And those were really precious moments for me because we did have dinner, we did have talks, and I did understand really who Hot Rod Hundley was, where he came from, you know, West Virginia, you know, raised by his aunt and obviously talked about his days in the NBA, being the number one pick in the draft and a $10,000, you know, a year salary. I mean, all these things that now you just kind of almost chuckle at because of the, the salaries that are given out on a yearly basis in the NBA, but a, a self-made man, honestly, and, and you know, West Virginia, Grant, as you know, I mean, he was basically ahead of his time. He mm-hmm. was a pistol feet style Maravich player. He was a, a globe trotter. I mean, he was an entertainer. And you know what? In life, he was the same way. And it was just a joy to know him. And, you know, so sad to see him to go. I went to his service in Phoenix, the celebration of life. And it was a great thing. Some great uh, names from the past. Rod Thorne was there and many of his of his old friends. Jerry Sloan, who was still, you know, healthy and alive at that time. And it was just, it was tough. We got word of his passing about an hour before tip-off. I'm trying to think, we may have been in Denver that night. And it was hard to keep myself composed, you know, on the air. You've been through things like that. And, sure. and word comes down and you go, whoa, uh, here's a great friend and really an icon of the Utah Jazz franchise. But I was so glad to be a part of his life and his part. Of, and my boys just adored him, man. He, he, uh, he embraced him everywhere. Hey, what are you boy, young boys doing? <laughs> and you know, it was, it was just fun. It was fun. I, I can, I tell a quick story. Yeah, please. Uh, we were all having dinner and, and Jerry was such a kind individual. You know, he'd pull on his billfold for anybody, honestly, uh, to find a, a Coors Light or a Bud Light, I guess I should say, or dinner. One night though, he decided to pull a, pull a fast one on hot rod. And it's no secret hot rod almost embraced the name as of, of America's guest, right? Sure. And we're all at dinner, and Hots goes, you know, I better go to the bathroom before we walk back. And there was the opening. Jerry goes, let's go. Let's go. And the bill hadn't been paid. <laughs> so we uh, get about a block down the road, and the door kicks open. Hey, hey, you guys, you forgot to pay the damn bill. <laughs> and, and Jerry is just crying. And, it's you know, Sloan's that stoic, tough guy. But, boy, you talk about the biggest smile on his face. He goes, keep on walking. <laughs> and Hot's last words that night were, okay, you got me this time, but never again. <laughs> and it was just a fun, fun moment because those are two guys, Hot Rod and, and Jerry, that went so far back in time that it was it was Jerry's time to pull a good one, a fast one on Hot Rod, and we all just walked back to the hotel with a, the big smile on our face. It was It was fun. Two things. Times. Yeah. Oh Different boy. Times back in those days. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You know, every time I was in Hot Rod's presence, whether it was in Sacramento or Salt Lake City, he made me feel like he had known me his whole life. Uh, talking with yeah. him before the games was like talking to an old friend. It was just uh, he had that way of making you feel comfortable, important, and it was just shooting the breeze. There was no BS with him. We just sat there and talked like we were, you know, friends forever. It was amazing. Yeah. It's a great gift, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it really is. He did make you feel like you had been with him for 20 years past, and you're going to see him for 20 years in the present. I mean, it was just a, a really special talent, but it was real, Grant. It really was. That was his personality. 
he loved to be liked. He liked people and he liked to entertain and he loved to tell stories. And let me tell you, he lived a full life. Mm. Oh boy. <laughs> his, his stories, his stories would, you know, he'd go into the early morning hours telling old stories from, from the days of the Lakers and his early days in broadcasting and at CBS. Yeah. He, he was definitely an entertainer and a, and a, and a good soul. I'll tell you who else was a good soul and a guy that can intimidate you. You talk about Jerry Sloan. I remember the first time I interviewed him before a game, and I don't know if it was for the pregame or the halftime, but I was kind of nervous because, you know, I think about Jerry Sloan and, you know, the coach, the fiery coach on the sideline and the tough-nailed player for the Chicago Bulls. But he was another guy. I mean, he, he was nice. He asked me questions. He said, hey, anytime, happy to do it. I mean, and again, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Jerry, but every time I saw Jerry Sloan, uh, he, he was just like, he wanted to engage in a little bit of conversation. It wasn't like, hey, get out of here, kid. I don't want to do an interview. I enjoyed my time with Jerry. Yeah, he's another special guy that really broke my heart when to watch him fail at a slow, slow pace. Mm. You know, Grant, it was, we always applauded when we saw him in the stands at the arena. They always put a camera on him and either you'd see him sitting there with the late, great Mark Eaton, who was another oh, boy. genuine great guy. Broke my heart. Carl Malone actually called me that morning after they found out he had passed away, and Carl was just at beside himself. We've remained friends since we came to town at the same time in 1985. He was the first guy I ever talked to and interviewed in, in my position over at KSL Television, and and he was heartbroken. And for Mark to pass away at the age of 64 just stunned the whole city, the whole region. And we've lost him. You know, we've lost a lot of those bricks, you know, Grant, the, the foundation of what the Jazz became in those early 80s. Frank is still alive and vibrant, but yet he's aged. He's 88 yes. years old. And we lost Hot Rod. We lost Jerry. We've lost Mark. And, you know, it's it's tough to think of the, those those days without having those those names. They may not be, you know – the Carl and Johns, they may not be household names, but they were the foundation of what the Jazz were and what they've become. And, uh, you know, sometimes I look up in the rafter and just think of Jerry and nights on the road just talking about life, farm life back in McLeansboro, Illinois. I tell you, Grant, as you know, his story is, it, it, it is, he's played basketball on a, on a dirt floor. Mm. Um, you know, he was the ninth of 10 kids. You know, he's the original bull. He just asked you one thing, come to work, bring your lunch pail and wear the same style of tennis shoes because that indicated to him that you were a team. Mm. And, you know, those are real simple things, aren't they? Sure. But, you know, he didn't want anybody. Always tuck your shirt in, take pride in the game, but take pride in yourself. And those are the things I'll always remember from Jerry. Another quick story, if I may. Mm. This is hilarious. We're driving in Atlanta. You know uh, our producer, Travis Henderson, sure. and Phil Johnson. We had all gone out to eat. We're coming back in a cab. This is before Uber, and we're taking a back road. And it's pretty. This, guy's, this taxi driver is going pretty fast, Grant. And Jerry Sloan, we're all in the back seat, the three of us, and Jerry's in the front. And he just calmly looks over at this guy, and he goes, hey, you know, there's a stop sign up there. And I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> things are going to, you know. You know what's going to hit the ceiling here in a second. <laughs> and the driver, without missing a beat, Grant's head says, hey, you coach, I'll drive. 
<laughs> Come on. We're all just we're all waiting for this this cab to just the doors to fly off. And Jerry started busting out laughing. He goes, "You know what? I like you." <laughs> we got back to the hotel, but you know, you think <laughs> I love that and he had, you know, and the big hands who would you know break you in half, but he respected. The guy just say, "Hey, man, I'll drive you, coach." And Jerry was, "I love it." That. Oh, it's a great story. So you know, you never know how the personalities all come out. You see a tough guy, but in reality, as you saw, how he treated you, Grant, is how he treated everybody. I love you, hearing you know, it. He would take every, he would take every question after a post game, whether it was a win or a loss, and he'd stay there until the last question was asked and answered. Really, mm-hmm. a special guy, Donovan Mitchell is a guy that I love watching play and have from the very first time I ever saw him in the NBA. What does he mean to that franchise? Still, it's a very early part of his career. And if he were to stay in Utah for his whole career, how great do you think he can become? Oh, Grant, uh, you know, we're in a situation now with new ownership, the Miller family, you know, sold to to Ryan Smith and, and his ownership group. And, I think he's the most important cog that we have since the Stockton and Malone days. He is 24. He obviously has made big statements uh, about equality, both on and off the floor. He is a dynamic player, both, and I think he's become even a better defender in his t- short time with Quinn Snyder. But you know what? He has the it factor. You know, Grant, you know, you know, everybody says, what is it? I think we all know what it is when you see it. Mm-hmm. And he just oozes professionalism, talent, and confidence. And I guess that's what it is. But he does it with class, too. I don't sense any major ego. Uh, disappointed that he couldn't play at full strength down the stretch of the season and into the playoffs because of the ankle. And then Mike Conley got hurt. But those two, like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, you know, they're smaller backcourts, but they they just have a connection that I think the Jazz hope they can keep for another couple of years as Mike, you know, ages. But uh, we'll see how that works out. That's a whole, you know, he's a free agent. can go whatever he wants and do whatever he wants to do. But I think he sees a good thing here, I hope, with Donovan. And Donovan sees a good thing here with Quinn Snyder and what they're trying to build. We'll never find out how, how far they could have gone. They had the best record in the NBA. It was a blast being a part of the 52 wins. But, you know, this was a season of injury, especially in postseason. Sure, play. sure. And, and uh, you know, the Jazz were got bit as well. They were healthy fairly throughout the, the course of the regular season. Those games came fast and furious in the truncated 72-game season. But they got bit at the most inopportune time. But I thought he handled himself incredibly well, and I think the sky's the limit. He is a game changer. He can shoot the three. He can penetrate, finish. He can get to the free throw line. You know, he plays bigger, too, Grant, than just six one. They, they remember, what was it, a year or two ago, they, re, they went out there and said, all right, let's, let's really see how tall this league is. And everybody had to go through a – That's uh, right. You know, they brought the state – they brought the tape measure out, <laughs> and overnight shrunk two inches from six three to six one. I love so, that. But yeah, I hope I hope fans around the league have gotten a taste of his talent, and I think that he is one of the young stars, like a Devin Booker, you know, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, that the league is going to have to focus on, and a John Morant in Memphis as 
the other names begin to fade. I know they don't, they don't want to fade away, but there will be a day sooner than later that LeBron and Harden and KD and Kyrie and others aren't going to be in the league. And these are the names I think that fans will begin to know and know and more will be known more and more. Devin Booker is getting his, his time now in the, in the full limelight as he's in the finals with uh, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton has grown, <laughs> you know, as well. And I think sometimes, Grant, as you know, the networks have trouble letting loose of the of the names that grab attention and viewership. But you have to grow the next the next level of athlete, the next star, the next group of stars. And I think the ones that we just talked about are very much in that mix. Bowler, October 2nd, I can't wait. I was invited to Tuscaloosa. I'm going to the Ole Miss-Alabama game. will be my first oh, SEC man. football game. And I bring this up because I know when you worked at CBS – you did the SEC for year, a number of years. How unbelievably awesome was that for you? You know, Grant, it's some of those times you just gave me goosebumps, to be honest. I was kind of, you know, asked to come away from when Fox offered me a contract. I, I thought it was time for a change, change. I was at CBS for 13 years, enjoyed every minute. NFL, as you mentioned, college football, all in the SEC and the NCAA tournament. And the little jobs, you know, I, I was able to call – you know, world champion mogul, you know, championships in Lake Placid. I did some desk work during the golf and back in the studio. I mean, I, it was just a dream of mine to be at that, to be at that level, but also given the opportunities. But there is nothing like SEC football. Grant, I'll tell you, man, I'll be thinking, I'm going to write it down right now. <laughs> over right. Uh, Ole Miss and Alabama. Yep. Uh, as Keith, the great late Keith Jackson would say, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I always thought of when I went into Tuscaloosa. It's just, it's, it's really, there's most of the SEC, you know, schools, there is just a respect there that when you walk in to, or drive into town, you know, it becomes a major city mm-hmm. overnight because it's a happening. Right. It's a religion. And that's what I, I really loved. You know, Peyton Manning at Knoxville. I was able to do his last college game and then followed him into the NFL. Wow. It was it was a great experience. Peyton is a class guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, down at Florida and Auburn, Alabama and Georgia. I mean, it, the, the names just go on and on and on. And there was never a bad game. Every game you did, there was so much competition and the crowds were, you know, in the in the thousands, you know, of sixty to eighty thousand seat arenas, man, I'd say you're going to have one heck of a I can't time. wait. You know why? Because now fans are back in the stands. That's right. And it's going to be it's going to be a special weekend for you, my friend. I had a chance about two months ago to have Tim Brando on the podcast. You know, your former colleague at CBS, and we, we B. Yeah, yeah, love Timmy, and we talked about some of the real, you know, fun big time events that he's done. And you 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 could write a book. On your events, but I asked him. I said, "Okay." I go, "Give me, give me the place that I need to go in the SEC for a game, right?" And he he laughed, and he boy, he said, "You know, that's really hard." He goes, "You got to go to a, you got to go to LSU for a game on Saturday yeah. night. You got to go to the Grove at Ole Miss." You know, he mentioned those yeah. two. If I is there a favorite for you? I mean, you mentioned some of the schools, but if you could only do one game, if I say Boulder, you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna you know got a magic wand here. I'm gonna let you go back and do college football again, but you can only do one game in the SEC. Right. Which stadium are you going to do it at? Well, I would ask for either Alabama or Auburn at LSU at night. Right. So I'm with Timmy. 
Uh, and, you know, he and I talked all the time. He'd pitch it to me on the second game of a doubleheader or I'd start the day at CBS and Timmy and Spencer Tillman, who later joined me in the booth and then was back and forth in the studio with Timmy. But I would say, to Grant, if you could, go on a on – a, it's going to be hot, but go on a, a, a 5.30 kick Eastern time and get part of the day as you watch the sunset and the lights become – it, it, it basically engulfs Tiger Stadium. Wow. And watch the humidity and the light <laughs> kind of just take over, and you start to realize nighttime has arrived at LSU and the lights are bright, and you're watching two really damn good football programs go at it. It's fun, and the crowd is terrific there. In fact, I'll say this. I think Tim would agree. Fans in the SEC are superb. They are. I mean, college football has a special feel all around the country. You know, I grew I grew up in Big Eight, now Big Twelve country with Oklahoma, Kansas State, you know, Nebraska at the time. I mean, it was just incredible. But there is something about the the South. The SEC schools have a real special draw, and maybe it is that religion factor yep. where everyone leaves and makes it a happening. And they travel on in cars or in those big 33-foot mobile homes, and they turn <laughs> a, city, a town into a yep. city. They make it a happening. And walking across the Grove, I can't tell you how many times myself, Steve Berline, whoever I was with, we would be invited into a picnic or to a barbecue, and we walk into the stadium, into our booth. Like, you know, we'd save the beer for later. <laughs> we'd take the ribs and right. the chicken and uh, the coleslaw. All oh, wow. Great, great, great people that were so kind to ask us to stop by and say hello. It was it was a great time. I'll tell you what else impresses the heck out of me, because I met a whole bunch of guys from Alabama. Matter of fact, I went to the Ohio State-Alabama game at Hard Rock in January. It wasn't the same as only 15,000 people, but hanging around them for a couple of days, uh, I just was blown away at their knowledge, talking about games from 20 years ago as if they were played last night, and they can tell you what happened on third and four at the 18. And well, that yes. and, and, and it, it, it just blew me away how knowledgeable. But <laughs> the one guy from Alabama... <laughs> And I'm sure you can appreciate this bragging, you know, about, you know, Alabama football. Hey, our trophies have trophies. You know what I'm like? That's, that, you know, that's a yeah. pretty good line. Our trophies have trophies. But yeah, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, when you look back at, at your career so far and everything that you've accomplished, is there one event that you've always wanted to do that you just haven't had the opportunity to do so? Well, there's a couple. I, I would love to be able to call a a championship in all categories. I'm sure you join me in that, right? Yep, sure. I mean, it's, uh, the, the NBA is special to me. It's special to you. You know, Mike Bream, we both know, and yep. a terrific individual, by the way. Not just a, a really in, in talented broadcaster, but a good, great human being. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, Nance and I have talked about this a lot. Jim and I have remained friends over the years. And, and you know, his, his love is golf. And he just signed a deal, if I'm not mistaken, I think, to take it into the 100th calling of the Masters. Wow. And he says, I hope I can make it. And I said, "You look, pal, even if you got to go up with a cane or a walker, I know, I know you'll be there. But for me, you know, football has always been, you know, my love. You know, I, I got beat up pretty early in high school and college. You know, I was a walk-on. I got some college scholarship offers. But I, I went to Kansas State hoping not much happened. But that was really where my focus was always was always at. I love college football. I love the NFL. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. I was a, 
a kid who had a $3 ticket in his hand back in the day at Old Municipal Stadium. I was mm. part of what was called the Wolf Pack. And my mom and dad would go to the game with, you know, the, the big guy, the big boy tickets. But I got to sit in the uh, the end zone in a very old but historic stadium before they knocked it down. The days of Lenny Dawson, Mike Garrett, Willie Lanier, Buck Buchanan, Eddie Podolak. Those names are, are what I grew up with. And uh, they won Super Bowl four in 1970 what what was they all of 10 i think it was yeah. but it was such a cool moment for kansas city and they were able to repeat it 50 years later with a guy named mahomes right so i think if i had my choice i would probably want to be at a at a you know a, a super bowl i think i'd want to call a national championship in college football i'm so that happy would be, that yeah. would be an icing on the cake for me I would love to be a part of an NBA championship run. The Jazz, I thought, may get there. But instead, our great friend Al McCoy is having one heck of a oh boy. time, isn't he? Uh, you know what? 88 years old. Can you believe that? I did. It's so, I'm so happy for Al. You know, you mentioned Mike Breen. You mentioned Jim Nance. And... It's so awesome that the the head of the networks, and uh, I, I say that in all due respect to any others, but the, it, it's one thing to be so talented but it's another thing to not have an ego and be nice to everyone. And I just love that about Nance and Breen. And I know Mike very well. I've known Mike for 25 years. I don't know Jim as well as you do, obviously. But, man, you know, as sports fans, we're lucky that we can turn on the TV and not only hear excellence, but know that we're, we're watching and listening to great human beings. And I hope it doesn't sound corny, but that means a lot to me. No, and me too, and I hope fans who are listening to this podcast, and I'm happy for you to have a voice, you know, as well, Grant, really. I mean, I want people to know that these guys have reached great status with their companies, with their networks, but also at the same time, they really understand that people are the driving force But with what we do. The fan bases, you know, fanatics, I mean, people love their teams. They, they love their coaches or they, you know, whatever it may be. But Jim gets the big picture. Mike understands it as well as anybody. And they do have time to go and talk sports with people. I've watched them. And yep. I try to model, you know, what I do because of them. And, you know, there's no one better that I know locally. And that's Big Chief Thurl Bailey, who I think learned a lot, you know, Mike, from Jimmy Valvano at North Carolina state when they won the 1983 national championship. Yep. I mean, that moment still is, is one of the greatest moments in sports history. And big T I think learned so much from him, but also his journey to the NBA and overseas mm-hmm. and back. And now with he and I in the booth for a lot of hours, you know, he, he has time. And that's what I loved about Sloan too. As you mentioned, you know, he would take the interview and not try to blow you off. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, now, there's others that we know that are polar opposites. No question. But we've dealt with some really good good people, good human beings that are very talented at the same time. And if you get a combination like that, that's, that's, that's a special person. And Doris Burke, let me just throw her name in as well. I've gotten to know her better over the years. And what a talent, but also has time. And I really appreciate that from her as well. I love that. You know, you talk about Thurl Bailey. I had Spud Webb on the podcast uh, about a month ago, and we talked about his days at NC State and playing for Jimmy Valvano. It's just fascinating to hear the impact that he had on his players. Yeah, Thurl talks about it all the time. I mean, it still resonates with him today. 
And that's something, if you have a, an individual grant that impacts you from your young teen years into young adulthood, now yeah. into what thorough, I won't, I think he's 60. I'm not sure. He probably wouldn't like me saying that. <laughs> yeah. He could, he could probably still dunk that, over your head. Right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a great compliment? Yes. And yes. I think, you know, the great John Wooden, I mean, look at what Bill Walton always says. Sure. I mean, it's, and I met, I met uh, coach, coach Wooden a couple of times. And even the moments I sat there and talked to him, he just impacts people. Mm -hmm. He has it, you know, he changed people's lives. And I think Jimmy V is in that same category. And I think Thurl would tell you if we had him right now, he'd tell you the same thing. And we could be talking for hours upon hours about everything you learned from coach V. I love the jazz and what their franchise, you know, stands for. You know, you talked about Larry Miller. I started doing games at the Salt Palace. And, you know, whether it's your PA announcer, Roberts, whether it's, you you know, the, the, the legacy of Hot Rod Hunley, you talk about Boone, you know, you talk about Bailey, you talk about Mark Eaton, and, and boy, I'm with you. It was so, so sad to get that news. I've just loved the, the family-like atmosphere with that franchise in that city. It's very similar to what we have in Sacramento. I think it's similar to Portland, but that is so unique in Salt Lake City. You were so lucky to be in that community with that franchise where everyone kind of feels like one. Yeah, Grant, it's growing. And I think, you know, that hometown feel uh, when the Millers sold it, Ryan Smith is a local man, you know, billionaire mm -hmm. with Qualtrics. It's, it's going to be interesting this offseason to see how new ownership, for the very first time since Larry bought the franchise from Sam Battistone 35-some years ago, how this ownership group will respond to some disappointments, you know, the 52 wins, the injuries, and what they want to do to tweak this franchise. Um, I still feel the same as you do. I think Donovan and Ryan and the ownership purchased by Dwayne Wade is given the league more diversity and it's obviously brought that to Utah. Fans are very excited to see what Dwayne who has championship, you know, experience and hall of fame, what he will bring and how he will basically consult with Ryan on what direction they want to go. And I tell you, I'm, I'm anxious to see again, luxury tax is a big thing as you know, right? Sure. I mean, Absolutely. The Bombers of the world and, you know, the, <laughs> right. you know, the, the, the Lakers, uh, you know, I mean, they, they kind of just turn their head at times. If it means to go over the cap, I'm not sure what the limits are, but does it mean do you have to go jump into the deep cap space to really win a championship? And sometimes owners, <laughs> ownership groups find out, yes, yes, you do. I think the Jazz are still in that mode of trying to grow players, and they've done that with Gobert. They've done that with, with Donovan. Draft picks that have become all-stars. And I applaud uh, Quinn Snyder, honestly, for his ability to grow players and the system that he runs. I never thought the Jazz, too, Grant, would decide in the bubble to turn things up a bit and become one of the most prolific three-point shooting clubs in the NBA. Joe Ingles flirts with 50% all season long. Niang, kid from out of Iowa State, has that three-point ability. And what Jordan Clarkson, the sixth man, sure. what he was able to bring. Conley, when healthy. You know, really, Grant, I never thought a guy 14 years in the league could become better. And most, most of the times when I talk to Thurl and Matt Harfring and other, they say, you know, by the time you're in your seventh year, you pretty much peaked. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, tell that to Mike Conley, who's an all-star <laughs> for the first right. time in his 14th season, right? Yep. But a system that really let him become an all-star. And that's the beauty of, I think, Quinn. They decided who they were and who they and how they could become the best team with the players they have. But getting back to your question, I, you know, th- those foundation pieces with the Jazz, we wouldn't be here without them. And we wouldn't be here without John and Carl. And I don't think, again, the, 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 the franchise would be in such good hands or, or as strong as it is mm-hmm. without the likes of a Donovan Mitchell and a Quinn Snyder. And obviously what Gobert has become as a defender. But, you know, you're always changing. You're always trying to get better. Every franchise says the same thing in every offseason. But this one I think is more interesting to me than, than in a long time because I can't predict what the Miller family will do because they've handed those reins to Ryan Smith and that ownership group, which Dwayne Wade is part of. And that's I think, is mm. the most intriguing part, I think, for most fans in this Intermountain region where they're thinking, what are they going to do? You know, how, how serious is Ryan about a title? How deep will he go? And what changes will he make that have to be bold enough to, as you just said, maybe satisfy a Donovan Mitchell, who they do want, very much like what Stockton did and mostly what Malone did, except for that half a year in L.A. with the Lakers before he got hurt. Can he, can he be a rare breed to actually play his entire career in one city? I think Ryan Smith and Dwayne Wade would like that to happen. I know Jazz fans would, but it takes a lot to get there, as you know. Uh, there's a lot of coming and going in this league, but can the Jazz find the pieces that would make Donovan stay and, and a title obviously would, would help the cause, as you know. Titles make make fans and players happy. But then they say, What's what's next? What are we gonna do now after if they do get to that point? So I'm anxious to see what happens in this offseason. I think we're gonna get some surprises. We may stay solid and pretty much the base stays there, but I think some outside pieces may be the first step. Well, Bowler, I'll miss seeing you, man. Uh, You're one of my favorites. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed that, and I wish you nothing but the best. You're the best, my friend. And you know what I miss the most is every time I came to town, I knew Jody Bacon would come (laughs) and find me and say, can you hit that radio show with Grant tonight? Absolutely. (laughs) I'd be disappointed if you hadn't asked, my friend. We had great chats. And I can't thank you enough for thinking of me. And best of luck to you, my friend. It is now time for our Q&A. Thanks to Crowd Ultra. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It takes a minute to sign up. And maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. All right, let's get to Jackson. Aaron Rodgers says he'll decide on his plans in a few weeks. What do you think he ends up doing? I don't think this is going to end well. I'm on the fence but I don't think he'll be there day one of training camp. And I've lost a lot of respect for Aaron, a guy that I've known for quite a while. And again, I still, I have admiration for him in a lot of ways. So it's not like I think the guy's a jerk or anything like that. I just, I think he's handled this about as poorly uh, as you can. That's just my opinion. Dave wants to know what sport do you think has the most politics within the sport? Well, I don't think think it's close. I think it's the NBA. And I think the uh, NFL uh, is second. Alan wants to know, did you see the NBA Finals Game 1 ratings were almost an all-time low? Yes, the uh, first three games have been miserable. I saw Game 3's ratings were uh, 30% off of 2019. Uh, The NBA has said, please don't use the ratings based on last year. But, uh, yeah, the NBA ratings are way down. I predicted that. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I think the NBA's got a lot of issues right now. Logan said, what do you expect out of Joe Burrow 
this upcoming season. I think it's going to be tremendous. I thought before he tore his knee up, I thought the guy was uh, the guy's the real deal. The guy is the real deal. Kurt wants to know, what is the NBA rule that decides which way the opposing players face at the opening game tip-off? I've noticed in the NBA Finals so far that the teams tip off so that they play offense in front of their own bench in the second half, which is unusual. Good question. I don't think a lot of fans realize this. It's up to the visiting team. Uh, when the warm-ups begin, the visiting team takes what side of the floor they want, and then that's how they start the game going at that basket. So it's uh, the visiting team decides which basket they're going to shoot at in the first half. All right, let's move along here. Martin wants to know, what did you think about Shannon Sharp's take on Kobe not being in the top five all time? Listen, this is subjective. Uh, obviously, you got Bill Russell. You have Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> I mean, you got Magic Johnson. You got Larry Bird. You got LeBron. You got, I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know if I would have him in my top five or not. I don't think it's that outrageous. I mean, think about all the great players. And again, I left out several names, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very difficult to come up with a top five uh, all time. Uh, Josh wants to know, are, am I a fan of players associations? No, I'm not, but they're not going anywhere. And I understand. Uh, Tim wants to know, hey, Grant, I'd love to hear your take on the Nichols-Taylor situation at ESPN. I've done rants on it. I just talked about it again. Um, ESPN's a mess. Just go back and watch the rant that I did, I believe, on Friday, and I think that will uh, answer your question. Rich wants to know, do you think Kyle Lowry changes teams this offseason? I do. I love Kyle Lowry. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. I would love to have him on my team. I absolutely love the guy. Uh, Donovan wants to know, does the Bucks game three win change your opinion on who wins the finals? No. They're down two games to one. I still think the Suns will win this series. Jacob wants to know, does the U.S. losing to Nigeria disappoint you? Jacob, please go back and watch yesterday's rant on YouTube or listen to it here on this podcast platform. And that will answer your question. Brandon wants to know, did I watch Sugar Ray Leonard in the Montreal Olympics? And if so, what did you think at the time? thought it was one of the greatest exhibitions that I'd ever seen. He had star written all over him. That's when boxing was great to watch. Yeah, I remember it very well. And he was absolutely unbelievable. Nick wants to know, have you ever seen an athlete with wilder tweets than Gwen Berry? Yes, uh, but Barry, um, I, I don't really know what to say. It's embarrassing. That's, I'll just leave it at that. Reed wants to know, is Jay Crowder one of the most important players on the Suns? Yeah, I mean, I think he is. I think he's been unbelievable for the Suns. Go to Crowd Ultra Q&A, sign up. Maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. It's time for Rant. Rant. Today's Rant's brought to you by the Home Theater Company. For all of your audio, video, and home theater needs, just go online, hometheatercompany.com. That's hometheatercompany.com. Boy, Stephen A. Smith, you know, and again, some people can just say whatever the hell they want. Uh, yesterday on ESPN's edition of First Take, he had this to say about the most popular player, arguably, in Major League Baseball right now, Shohei Otani, who is the starting pitcher in tonight's All-Star game and will lead off for the American League. I am recording this before the Home Run Derby on Monday, 
So I can't comment on what happened there. But I can comment on the loudmouth Stephen A. Smith, who said this on first take, all right? But when you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, okay, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying. I believe the top highest-rated games in Major League Baseball this year, the top 10 highest-rated games, have been games with Otani on the field. Fans don't give a damn what language he speaks. They don't go to the ballpark to hear him speak. They go to the ballpark to watch him pitch. They go to the ballpark to watch him hit home runs. The guy is un-freaking-believable. And for Stephen A. Smith to make that type of a comment, you know what? It is good that those comments are going viral and that he is getting raked over the coals for them. It's a stupid-ass comment, all right? Again, the numbers don't lie. The highest-rated games this year have been games that Otani is playing in. The All-Star game tonight will probably be one of the highest-rated All-Star games in a long time. Why? Because of Otani. Because he's starting the game on the mound, and he's also the designated hitter. I don't know how Stephen A. Smith can honestly sit there and make that type of a comment. But here's what I do know. It is ESPN, which is which excuse me has turned into a freaking embarrassment. How about that? Unbelievable. Huh. When you talk about an audience gravitating, blah, 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 I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying. I don't know if Stephen A. Smith is going over to Japan to cover the Olympics. I don't know. He may, he may not. Probably not because of the COVID protocols. But if he were to go over to Japan, I wonder if he would know any Japanese or would he just go over there without any understanding of the language at all? This is really embarrassing, awful, terrible. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Hey, if you were listening via Apple Podcast, it would mean a lot if you would just take a minute and rate the podcast. If you like what I provide on these platforms, would love the five stars and a comment. And again, don't forget to check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. You can always reach me on Instagram, on Facebook, and of course, on Twitter, at Grant Napier Show. I would love to know my topics today on the podcast. Whether you agree, disagree, would love to hear your comments. Drop me a line. And thank you so much, as always, for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.